I'm uh, still in Hebrews chapter 11, and uh, we've reached verse 20. Very short passage. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Well, don't stretch for the peppermints yet, because when you hear a text like that, you might wonder, what is there for you in it? What relevance will it have for the time in which we live? Here we have a short verse about the faith of Isaac. The writer of the Hebrews has been reminding us of the great gallery of the faithful men and women of old. He's telling us about their faith because he wants to inspire us to hold fast to the faith once delivered to God's people. And uh, all he's going to tell us about Isaac as an example of faith is that he blessed his sons concerning things to come when he was dying. Well, what do we learn from this? Well, I think the first thing we learn about this before we deep further into his life is we do need faith in God when we come to die. That's obvious, isn't it? Because if we believe in a heaven and a hell, we certainly want to have faith in Christ when we're facing death. And here he is, at the end of his life, thinking about God and thinking about the future. He's thinking about the well-being of his sons. He wants his family to also believe in the Lord and follow on in the faith of his father Abraham. You see, the patriarchs valued promises even more than we value a physical inheritance today. You see, although we might cherish material goods and we might have some very precious things that are going to get handed down to us one day from our parents, what was so precious to the patriarchs was that God had made promises to them that their family would be a blessing to the whole world. And surely, surely that's a, a most wonderful thing that we uh, will see people being a blessing and bringing God's grace into the world in days to come. Now, here, here is a man in his old age and he's facing the inevitable approach of death. It's going to come to us all. We don't know when it will be. Pray that by God's grace we will live to a ripe old age. And if we live to a ripe old age, we will live as God wants us to do. Now, it's true that in the Bible, uh, we have the story of the thief on the cross. A man who'd been a robber. A man who'd been a criminal. And in the last hour, he turned in faith and repentance to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's certainly possible for a person to come to faith very late in life. A person can be justified by faith and go straight from life to heaven. I'm going to share something from the family that took place this week. I went to a funeral 
It was my first cousin, a little bit older than me. I'd never known him very well, but I'd known the way he lived. And I've never been to a funeral where there's nothing good being said about the person who's died. And the message at the funeral was on the dying thief. Now, this person, as the preacher described, had a lot of skeletons in his cupboard. He'd been brought up in a Christian family. He was married to a person the preacher said was the most godly woman he'd ever met. And I know from going to the home when I was younger, being with his son, he was never there. He was away doing other things, things he shouldn't have been doing. And uh, he lived like that. And yet all his life, he never forgot what he'd learnt when he was young. He still believed the Bible was God's word. He still believed there was a God that lived. He still believed that Jesus Christ came into the world and died on the cross for sinners. But it didn't affect his life whatsoever. He kind of lived a, a dissonance life, a dissolute life, as well as being dissonant from what technically he believed. What he knew didn't affect him whatsoever. But when he was ill, he began to face the way he lived. And uh, the minister believed that at the end, there was a change in him. Suddenly he began to face what he'd been like and to face up to the prospect of where he might end up. His daughter, I'm told, read to him John chapter 10. And he responded to that positively. Well, he chose his own hymns. He knew hymns, even though he'd lived like that. Many skeletons in his cupboard. And he chose Rock of Ages. What a fitting hymn for a person like that. And also Sovereign Ruler of the Skies. Hymns of depth that showed that he remembered what he'd learnt when he was young. And now it came back to him. Isaac wasn't like that. Although the only thing we're being told about Isaac is what he said and what he was thinking on his deathbed, he had known the Lord for many years. And what we want to be, one of the sad things about my cousin, is that although he may be in glory, it's believed he was genuine. We, you know, the Lord knows that, whether he was or not. Whether he was genuine or not, what a, what a sad, wasted life. Oh, think of what he could have been. What joy we could have had of remembering the things he'd done and said that glorified God and was a blessing to his own family. Couldn't be said. We don't want to be saved by the skin of our teeth. We don't want to get to the end when we're not really ready, do we? We need to know the Lord before that's coming on us you see the thing about a Christian who walks with God all their life is 
they will find God's peace. The Bible says, precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And Matthew Henry, the commentator, says this. Though the grace of faith is of use throughout the Christian's life, yet it's especially so when we come to die. Faith has its great work to do at the very last, to help believers finish well. To die to the Lord so as to honour him by patience, hope and joy so as to leave a witness behind them of the truth of God's word and the excellency of his ways. Well, I'm going to suggest to you that Isaac had done that when he was younger. He didn't leave it to the 11th hour and try and get saved by the skin of his teeth. So that's the second thing. Faith is needed at our end, but secondly, faith can be found when we're young. Well, how do we find that in Isaac? Well, do you remember one of the first things that we begin to get recorded about him is when uh, uh, he's taken up Mount Moriah. God has told Abraham to take his son Isaac up and offer him to God. And he went up the mount with his father and he suddenly realised his father hadn't got a lamb. We can't imagine what he was beginning to think when he saw that. Now, he was strong enough to carry the wood up the mountain, so he wasn't particularly small. There's a lot of debate as to how, how old he was. He was a young man. We, we, that, that's all we know. And uh, if he was a young man, when uh, his father Abraham tied him up and laid him on the altar, he would have been strong enough to break away and run. But he didn't resist and he didn't fend off Abraham. He submitted to all the preparations. God was doing a remarkable and a mysterious thing. And then Isaac saw God provide a substitute. A surprising substitute just at the very right moment. There's lots of things that we would think about in that. But... We've got to think about Isaac tonight. He had implicit trust in what his father was doing and went with him. And I believe that that suggests that he had implicit trust in his father's God. That he didn't believe the Lord would cause Abraham to do a wrong thing. And when Abraham knew that God would provide... Surely Isaac saw God provide. And that must have impacted him. Now, some of us have grown up in Christian homes. I I grew up in a home where my parents went to worship. They never publicly professed their faith. But they were God-fearing, Bible-believing people, living an upright life. And young people who grow up in Christian homes see how faith affects the life of their mums and dads. They hear expressions of faith. They see what's important to their mums and dads. And uh, very often that's when faith begins to grow. When mum and dad pray with children and read the Bible to them when they're small. Sometimes some young people, they, they develop a faith when they're very young, a simple trusting faith. 
and they never go astray. And they're born again without realising they're born again. It comes almost naturally to grow up in a godly environment. It happens with some people. It may have happened with Isaac. Nothing is revealed. Some people's conversion is dramatic and sudden. Some people are converted late in life. But very often with young people growing up in Christians' homes, their hearts begin to be open to the Lord when they are young before they begin to resist the call of God. So we can think about Isaac as a young man with a father of great faith. Growing up, he was an answer to prayer himself. And God was with him when he was young. And I pray that God would be with all of you now you're young. But then we, we see a third incident, uh, in, or a second incident, in the life of Isaac. And uh, I read the tail end of the story about him, how he got his wife. I guess some of you old ones can tell stories about how you got your wife. Um, <laughs> I one day said to my father, I'd never known how my father and mother met. I remember my mother had passed away and I suddenly realised I'd never asked them how they came to know each other. <laughs> so I said to Dad, so how did you meet Mum? Well, at chapel, of course. I said, well, yeah, but you lived in Edgerton and Mum went to chapel and bidden him. Well, we went on a horse and cart every Sunday. <laughs> and it, it, it's wonderful. I, I, I told you this morning about um, Paul Brand. First week at uh, medical college, he meets the lady who's going to be his wife. How wonderful is God's providence in leading us. So here is uh, Isaac, and we, that's a lovely story. I only read the tail end of it when we read Genesis. It's just such a lovely story about uh, how he came to marry Rebecca. His dad was adamant that he wasn't to marry a pagan girl. And so he sent his most trusted servant off to find a believing family in Mesopotamia to find a wife and be a loving bride to Isaac. And uh, this devoted servant went off on the long journey. I'm, I'm presaying the account in Genesis, praying that God would make it clear which young lady he should come back to from Mesopotamia with uh, to Isaac. All very carefully and all very prayerfully planned. And so she agreed to go back to Canaan and become Isaac's wife. That's what you call the ultimate arranged marriage. <laughs> arranged by God, of course, but arranged by the father and the servant. Uh, when I went to India, they still do it, and the pastors talk to each other, and uh, they say, I've got this certain young lady in my congregation, might be super good, it's a certain young lady in your congregation. And, uh, uh, that, that's sometimes young people need a bit of encouragement, don't they? Um, but uh, this is, is a lovely thing. But you see, the issue was this. Abraham didn't want Isaac marrying an unbeliever. He wanted Isaac to marry a believer. And Isaac clearly was, was going with this, because in chapter 24, 63, which we read, he went out into the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. In other words, he was watching and waiting. 
No coincidence he happened to be in the field when the camels rolled in uh, sight and praying. Now, meditation, of course, is something that's so good for us to do. Don't we live busy lives? You know, you've got the iPhone in your pocket or whatever you have, you young people, and you've got your, 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 your WhatsApp and you, you've got your Instagram and whatever else you use. Um, always going off, isn't it? Always got something to say to each other and you can't escape from it, can you? You're full of distractions. What do you do? Well, probably I ought to turn it off more often so that we can meditate and think and get away from the distractions and focus upon the really important things. Isaac was doing that. What's more important than getting a good life partner? Surely one of the biggest decisions that we face in life, to find somebody who's compatible and shares our faith and outlook. It's so important. Isaac was praying about this and meditating and thinking about it. I'm, I'm sure he, he couldn't wait for his dad's servant to get back. What sort of woman's going to be on that camel? <laughs> but he trusted God. You know, he knew, his father knew as well, that if he married somebody that didn't believe in the one true living God, it was going to be a difficult relationship. The Bible says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. Well, why not? Because it makes it hard on both the people. You put a donkey in a yoke with an oxen, it's hard on the oxen and it's hard on the donkey. It's caused chafing and rubbing and... Uh, it's just not at all compatible. And uh, that's how we have to face big decisions like marriage. What's going to be pleasing to God? What's going to be good for our lives? Isaac had been down that route. Isaac's faith in God was exercised when he looked for a wife. I can remember the time when I was there long time ago, my wife's not here tonight and she may not hear this um, <laughs> but I can remember weighing up things I can remember really prayerfully considering would she be the right one for me? would we get on together? did we share an outlook? and I, I, I told her certain things that she might have to cope with if she married me <laughs> Isaac had faith when he came to getting his wife but then there's another lovely uh, record here about Isaac. And that's where I went scattering through chapter 26. Where he is gone to live in the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines have got really uncomfortable with him uh, living in the land. Because he's prospering. He's really doing well. He's just got his tents and he's got his servants he's got his animals and uh, he's there and uh, he dug wells well what do you need when you live in a place where there's little rainfall and you've got uh, livestock you need a well they need a lot of water to drink family needs water for everything washing and cooking and everything and a well was almost uh, a claim on a land. It was a valuable asset 
And if you dug a well, you were kind of saying, right, that's my well, I'm here to stay. I'm staking my claim. And when that happened, the Philistines saw that Isaac was doing well, and uh, they kept clashing. And time and time again, Isaac dug a well, and the Philistines saw what was going on. Hey, hey, not there. Move off somewhere else. That's that's where we're going to take our flocks. So he had to keep moving on. We we, we read that, and I'm summarising. And uh, what he was doing was reopening some of his father's wells. His father had stayed in that territory some years before. Uh, it, we're told Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the time of his father. And the Philistines stopped them up after Abraham had died and he gave them the same names as his father had given them. So after Abraham had uh, moved away, the Philistines came, right, we put a plug in that hole. Uh, no, no more uh, Abraham's descendants going there. But what did Isaac do? He made them operational again. And he gave them the same names as his father had given them. There's a, a great sermon by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, on this verse. Uh, and he uses this verse to tell us that we Christians should uh, draw spiritual sustenance from the same places that our forefathers drew their sustenance. That we can draw refreshment and life-giving truth from the things that our fathers believed and uh, learn from the way they lived. Lloyd-Jones used it uh, to make it as a call for professing Christians and professing churches to go back to the Bible and back to the authentic teaching of the Scripture concerning Christ and the Christian lifestyle. And uh, we, we mustn't think because a person is no longer alive or a person lived 100 years ago, 200 years ago, or 300 years ago, that they're not relevant. That there's a wonderful spiritual depth and insight from the learning and spirituality, of, of particularly some of those in, in the 17th century, people like John Owen and John Bunyan. And, and when we dig into their writings, there, there is real gems of truth, real uh, refreshing things that we can learn. The Bible says in Isaiah, with joy you can draw water. You will draw water from the wells of salvation. So Isaac went back to where his father had been and reopened his father's well. He was kind of saying, I believe what my father believed, that one day we'll own this land and I believe in the God my father believed in. But then Isaac dug new wells. Verse 19, chapter 26 Isaac's servants dug in the valley and discovered a well of fresh water. Uh, Then, verse 21, uh, they dug another well and quarrelled over it. And there's 22. He moved on from there and dug another well and no one quarrelled over it. In other words, he was digging wells for his family and his stock. And he got fresh water, but again, he got driven on. Um, And uh, he developed that strategy to move on. It wasn't that he was a coward, but he wanted good relationships with his neighbours. He chose to keep the peace by giving preference to another party. I believe Isaac was showing a side to him that commends him to us. He was showing a meekness of spirit. He was yielding up his rights 
rather than antagonizing his enemies. You know, sometimes we as Christians, we may win an argument and lose a friend if we're not careful. We have to be people who are of a mild and gracious disposition. As the scripture says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Oh, how testing COVID and its associated laws and rules have been. All the arguments that have gone on in the political world. And oh, how sad the arguments have crept into the community of faith. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Don't be one of the people that uh, fills the media claiming their rights. <laughs> Remember your duties. Remember peace with one another. And Isaac, in his life, we opened his father's well. He dug new wells. But there's a wonderful thing about all this. Finally, a well was dug that brought about no opposition. He named it Rehoboth, saying, Now the Lord has given us room and we will flourish in the land. Rehoboth means a, a broad place or a place where there's room for us, signifying that Isaac realized that this was the place God designated him to stay. In other words, because he yielded to the troublemakers, because he shifted his place again and again, finally he got to where God wanted him to be. And it was the troublemakers that brought him where he was. God's divine guidance was in his life. The hassles brought him where God wanted him to be. Have you ever thought that some of the hassles that get into your life are making you the person God wants you to be? Teaching you to handle, handle hassles in a Christ-like way. So here is Isaac. We've got a picture of his faith when he was a boy, I believe. We've got a, a picture of his faith in his business and work life. And then we've got a picture of how his faith was noticed by others. So after all this episode about the wells, uh, he finds that uh, uh, Ibimelech comes to him. Now, verse 25, Isaac built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord, and he pitched his tent and his servants dug a well. So here he is, he's uh, ensconced, he's uh, dug his well, and he's built an altar. What's he doing building an altar? An altar is a place where you make an offering. It's uh, where you come to worship God, how the patriarchs worship God. They didn't have a tabernacle or a temple or a chapel or a church. They built an altar. And there they'd regularly come around the altar uh, and they'd make an offering to God, perhaps a sacrifice saying, Lord, this is a substitute for my sins and offences. Please accept this life for my life. Or maybe it was a gift of something that uh, belonged to them. And they were saying, Lord, receive this thank offering for all your love and kindness towards me. He pitched his tent, he dug a well, and he built an altar. A place of public worship. Public worship. His residence was where he got a well, and where he got his living with his flocks, and where he worshipped. 
How valuable is our local church? How valuable it is to be with the people of God for our acts of faith. Isaac was surely saying that he was seeking first the kingdom of God and God's righteousness, knowing all these other things would be added to him. When we have to move, we have to think about where are we going to find God's people? Where are we going to find ministry that's going to help us? Where are we going to find people who love the Lord like we do? When we go to university, we have to think about that. How will God provide for us? Will we find the friends that will be a good help to us in our lives? But here he was, and uh, here he was uh, prospering. And uh, what happens? His neighbours come along. And his neighbours want to enter into a treatise. Uh, And Isaac says to them, Why have you come to me since you were hostile to me and sent me away? And they answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. So here are these people who kept moving him away because they didn't want him on their patch. Now, he's at Rehoboth, they're coming to him and they want to make a peace treaty with him. And he quite rightly says, what's the change about why have you changed what's their answer we saw clearly that the Lord was with you in other words they knew the one who Isaac trusted they knew he got an altar to the living God and they knew that the God that Isaac trusted was doing him good things were going so well for him they saw the blessing of God on his crops and his flocks and although they'd harassed him, he hadn't suffered for all the harassment he'd had. And they thought, well, perhaps we ought to have a good relationship with Isaac now. He was quiet and unassuming. He wasn't going to be a troublemaker. And so he entered into a contract with them. There's a verse in the Proverbs that says, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies live at peace with him. Surely that was what was happening in Isaac's lives. So here is Isaac. And uh, there is so much that we can learn, and I'm obviously pre-saying so much. So he shows us how we need the Lord when we come to the end of life. He shows us how our faith can blossom when we're young. He shows us how our faith can guide us in big decisions, like finding a wife, future education, etc., where we live. He shows us how faith helps us trust God's care in our lives. And he shows us how faith will be seen by others. It can't be hidden. Even the Philistines saw that God was with him. And then, finally, faith prepares for the future. And we've got to our text now. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. Now you know the whole story of the shenanigans that went on with the blessing of Isaac and his two sons. They came to him for a parting blessing. That was, a parting blessing was like uh, the signing of the last will and testament that we might do today. That would be witnessed and then uh, the will would be bestowed on the uh, testator uh, and at the death of the testator the will 
and the inheritance would be bestowed to the beneficiary. With the patriarchs, along with that came the transfer of authority with a promise of divine help and a prophetic word. And Isaac has been foolishly partial to Esau. Was it really just that Esau gave him good food? Was it really simply that Esau was a better cook than Jacob? Isaac was stubbornly determined to go along with the cultural tradition and give the inheritance to the older son, Esau, not Jacob. So he says, Before I bless you, go and get me some game and prepare a savoury dish. But you know the shenanigans that went on. He got deceived by Jacob through the connivance of Rebekah and he unwittingly conveyed to Jacob the blessing of the firstborn. And it wasn't until he realised that that was irreversible that Isaac said this, Yes, and he, Jacob, shall be blessed. And of course, he was. He would have 12 sons who would be the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, here the Spirit of the Lord has inspired the writer of the Hebrews to credit Isaac with faith when he blessed the one he wasn't intending to bless. But you see, it was an act of faith even though it needed the overruling providence of God to redirect it. God fulfilled his sovereign purposes throughout the whole soap opera. You know, when our plans and our actions are overruled, faith bows before God and we submit. Faith is so often imperfect in us. So often we can be misguided and be stubborn. Very often there's faith mixed in it as it was with Isaac. We don't always think wisely. But you know, if our <coughs> hearts have faith in God and our desires for God's blessing are there, God looks and sees the faith amid the perfection, uh, imperfection, amid the foolishness. He sees faith. And then this act of faith is recorded, despite Isaac being, how can I put it, a rather unremarkable believer. He lived longer than the other patriarchs, but he doesn't seem to have been particularly important. <coughs> he wasn't bold and full of faith like Abraham, his father. He wasn't energetic like Jacob or a gifted leader like his grandson, Joseph. But isn't that the story of faith amongst most of us here tonight? Most of us are living ordinary Christian lives, quietly getting on with life, of walking with God. God made us who we are. We are what we are by the grace of God. We're not all alike. Good job we aren't all alike. Good job we're not clones. It's not about being recognised, it's about knowing <coughs> the Lord. And here the Bible as I've summarised in the life of Isaac, records highlights and lowlights. We will have those. We can hardly say that Isaac was a man of 
great faith, but he was a man of real faith and true faith. God kept him when he succumbed to fear. God kept him when he passed off his wife as his sister, though she was his half-sister. And that was despite God saying to him a little before that, I will be with you and bless you. But we see his faith when he prayed for Rebekah, who was barren. The Lord answered him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. We see his faith when he was so upset with Esau marrying pagan women. We see faith in the Lord in different times in his life. So although we've got a verse that's telling us about the faith of Isaac just at the end of his life, there's evidence that God was with him and faith was with him when he was young and in his midlife and his later life. And he kept trusting in God. And it's my prayer for all of us tonight that we will have faith like Isaac. Trust in God when we're young. Trusting God when we're going through crises in life, challenges. <coughs> Trusting God when we come to the end. May God bless you, each one, and bless His Word. Amen.